Hello, welcome along to this week's episode of Soundtrack and thank you so much for joining us. Whether this be your first time listening or whether you are a long term listener, we welcome you one and all and thank you in advance for your time. We're very excited about our guest this week as we are very excited about him, both as a performer, as an actor, but also as a filmmaker. So our latest guest on Soundtrack and first came to my attention with his barnstormingly performance in Richard Ayoade's coming-of-age drama, Submarine. Craig Roberts has since broadened his horizons and turned his attention to not only writing, but directing, first with Just Jim, and now the wonderful Eternal Beauty. Starring the ever-fabulous Sally Hawkins, Eternal Beauty tells the story of Jane, a young woman suffering from depression and schizophrenia in 1980s suburbia, following the trauma of being stood up at the altar. It's an audacious bit of filmmaking, dealing with the difficult subject matter of mental illness with remarkable deafness of touch. The movie is scored by Michael Price, who's been incredibly helpful in supplying us with his music. So massive thank you to Michael. We'll get you on, please, as soon as possible. And it's with one of Michael's cues that we begin. Where have you been? Craig, lovely to see you. Massive congratulations on Eternal Beauty. Wow, I love it. Thank you for having me on and, and for taking the time and also watching the film. That's amazing. Uh, thank you. It's beautifully and just kind of subtly constructed, I think, in that it's dealing with really serious issues, you know, mental health issues, but the way that it's been written and shot and the cast performances, it never leaves you heavy with one emotion. So almost when you get to a point with a certain emotion, you kind of flip it slightly. And that's such kind of craftsmanship, really, in terms of both how you've written it, directed it, and how it's been performed. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. I'm glad that it is that way and it plays that way. One thing that was super important for me is that it wasn't just, a, you know, just really dark and, like, super depressing. Yeah. You know, I've seen a bunch of, you know, what, at least, you know, in the run-up to this, I was trying to watch as much as I could with cinema and, you know, its take on, like, mental health. There was just a lack of humor in it, really, and I just felt that like it almost—it was almost like people were afraid to laugh, or you know, laugh with the with a, with a protagonist that's that's going through something like this. And from the movie's slightly based on somebody that I know, mm-hmm. and this person um, has always been very, very funny. And my family have you know built up a way to deal with it and laugh it off, or you know, um, go along with what what she's saying. And 
it was just super important and it was certainly a challenge to like keep that in there. It, it will make people feel uncomfortable sometimes. And I think that's absolutely fine. The way I was always pitching it was that it's a drama with comedy or humor rather throughout. And if it's not funny for anybody, then it's just a drama and that's fine. Comedy is a brilliant way of addressing kind of issues that make people feel uncomfortable in a way, isn't it? And it's kind of healthy in a way to be uncomfortable because it means that you care and you're invested. Absolutely. And it also, also, if you, if, if something is, let's say, trying to be funny or there's, there's humor pointed at in, in something and you don't find it funny, then it doesn't have to be that it's wrong. It just, it just happens to be that maybe you've not experienced that or yeah. you don't have, have that. So that's absolutely fine. And I think that's, I think it's important with the progression of talking about mental health and how, how much we talk about it. We need to look at it from all different angles. There's, you know, I think this is, it's an inter- it'd be an interesting double bill to play this next to the Joker because they're both obviously two different takes on it. Yeah. One's very, very serious. And the others, you know, with slightly more humor in it, and there's no wrong way to do it. But I think, you know, that just shows that we should open it up and, and, and um, have different looking glasses for, for, for this. It really, you know, when you were talking about kind of wanting it to be a drama with comedy and, and dealing with kind of mental health, one flew over the cuckoo's nest was the, was the immediate one for me that, that kind of... It's amazing. It's inc- I've watched that, yeah. I, I, I watched that a few times before we were doing it just to make sure... Well, also because it's just, it's just, it's it's perfect the way it's made. The way it's made is perfect. It's just so good. Yeah, it was, yeah, look, it was very, it was very, um, it's all, it was also, you know, it was certainly challenging to try and make this thing because I don't think, because I knew the humor of the character or the protagonist, and it was certainly a goal to make sure that everybody's always laughing where they're not laughing at. And if you are laughing at by the end of it, hopefully you realize that you've been laughing at the wrong person and that maybe it's other people. Yeah. Everybody else made me feel uncomfortable. That's good. And not Jane. I just wanted to hang out with Jane, to be honest. I just kind of like... That's good, yeah. She was just so true. She was so honest. She's super honest, yeah. She's no, there's no filter in it. And I kind of did hang out with Jane because Sally, I was obviously friend. I was like friends with Sally beforehand. Yeah. And then when she did the movie, you know, we got closer and uh, the, the friendship grew. But I realized that I was like becoming friends with this character because she was obviously, she was like in character the whole time pretty much. Was she? So, yeah, well, on set, she was, it was, I mean, this is such a hard role to play. And there's so many places to go that she certainly stayed in it for a long time. Um, and as much as she could during on set. And that was fascinating to see. And obviously sets a tone immediately for people c- coming into that. And everybody else as well. Like I always, you know, I've always wanted to, I, w- I worked with David Thewlis a couple of years ago. He wrote a short film. And when I was writing this, I definitely wanted Sally and David to be in it because I felt like I hadn't seen, it's like the Michael, Michael Lee movie I hadn't seen. Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody else that we got, like Alice Lowe and Billy Piper and Penelope Wilton and Bob Pugh and Morbid Clark, we were, we just lucked out with the cast. I, it was we were very lucky. How much of it was was on was on was on the paper? Did you you know you a director? Because this has been it's so brilliant to kind of watch you know kind of your journey as well with filmmaking. Kind of you know I think my first introduction to you on front of the camera was Submarine, obviously, which was fantastic. I remember speaking to you about Just Jim, and then. You know, kind of, it's so exciting watching the films that you're making and the stories that you're telling. And with this, I guess knowing, you know, it's, it's funny you say about Mike Lee and stuff. Did you encourage improvisation? Did you encourage them to play with the characters, or were you quite meticulous in terms of what you shot and how you shot it? I was definitely quite meticulous with what I shot because we were shooting on film, so we didn't have the the freedom to like constantly like run the camera all the time. It was. It was um, we were very, you know, kind of a low budget, so we we really didn't. It was um, we had to, I had to know what I wanted going into it. Uh, but I, I definitely, I definitely encouraged it if it was good. 
not that it was ever bad, um, but I de- definitely, you know, if it can make it better 100%, I'm not Tarantino where it's, you know, I don't, nothing has to be said exactly this way with this inflection. It's kind of a bit of both, I suppose. Like if it's organic and it's wonderful, then fantastic. But as long as we get what we need and that, you know, I've got enough in the edit to play with, then I'm happy. Did you know when you were writing it how you wanted the film to to sound, you know, in terms of music-wise? Because there's this wonderful kind of both sides of it in terms of, you know, you have diegetic music. Oh, yes, I love when I get to use that word. Makes me feel like I'm really clever. I love that word so much, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then obviously you know Michael's done the score again for you and yeah because obviously you have you know with with, say with with Sally singing I Will Survive uh, you know you've got to get clearance for that in advance and all that kind of thing so how much were you writing into the script and and kind of having an idea of that before you started that was in there the Gloria Gaynor was in there and it was so expensive and it was ridiculous it was (laughs) Was just well I changed the you know it's that actually happened, that singing of that lyric, those lyrics with the actual lyrics that she says, because they're wrong. And so I wrote, wrote the lyrics in the script. Um, and then I thought, well, this is not going to be that expensive because, you know, the lyrics are completely incorrect. But no, it was absolutely expensive. But I felt right to have it in there. With Michael, yeah, like I wanted, I love Michael. I think he's amazing. And he did such a good job on the first one that I just definitely wanted to work with him again. And we had two sides of it. So it was the music that would essentially follow her around which was let's call it kind of i suppose punch drunk lovey in a way that was probably a reference for it used a lot of sounds that Sally had so basically like like ums or like ahs or anything wow. that she did in dialogue we took and then tried to make into 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 music essentially Amazing. Yeah, it was really cool because we just wanted it to be totally in her head. And then um, there was a nightingale that followed. Where there was this idea that you know um, her having this superpower that she could talk to anything or anyone. So there's a nightingale that kind of talks to her through the soundtrack as well in the music that follows her around. And then there was the kind of vertigo kind of um, the lush music that was almost like a movie that she was imagining or like in, in any moment that was went really well for her. 
uh, we kind of hmm. supported her with that and gave her the right kind of music that she deserved. So there was like two, yeah, definitely two sides to it. And it was, uh, we wanted to make sure it was, it felt right um, and was um, transitioned well, but it was, it's kind of easy because the movie's always with her, you know, we're in her head always. So like, that was fine. And then also like Taxi Driver's always a, always a reference for any music really, because it's just the best. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's interesting you mentioned Punch Dog Glove because I think that that John Bryan score and similarly, you know, in terms of the drama comedy element of that film, I think as well is... is it's a masterpiece, yeah. Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, absolutely extraordinary. Because even at the opening of the film, the sound of the kind of orchestra warming up, and it's just a be—it's a beautiful start. It's kind of like yeah, we did um we, when we when we uh, at LFF we did the screening, the premiere for it, and we actually got like um, a quartet on stage doing the actual the warming up, some of the music in the film before they actually the movie played. Because sometimes I feel like if you know the music in a film, you're going to have a better experience of the film. And obviously this was completely new music. So we were trying to sneak in some music before the film started to try and get into people's heads. Um, but yeah, again, that, that was, I suppose, uh, that came from certainly the, you know, the instruments warming up and stuff. And any, again, anything that was in her head, because that plays over her, the, the kind of, let's call it, um, the, the kind of, yeah, the, the talking her through how to be calm and, and uh, uh, radio piece at the beginning of the movie. And it's, uh, that was, again, a challenge to put that in because that's not the easiest way into a movie. <laughs> it's not the most commercial way into a film. <laughs> Hello. 
you know, and I love that sort of way that it can transport you almost, you know, so you're like, oh, I'm, I've got to quick, I've got to sit down and get ready because they're warm. You know, it's it's such a lovely, gentle way to kind of go, okay, we're about to start something. It's lovely. Yes, yeah, certainly a nod to that as well, that kind of pre-music that would come in cinemas, I suppose, as well. But as you're sitting down, yeah, look, I like old, I like old scores. I really do. Um, so we, we definitely we went for it and Michael got us into Abbey Road to record it as well. So it was one it was a wonderful experience. Amazing. It was really cool. Did you get your picture taken on the crossing outside? Yes, and then my mum came with me and like Lord of the Rings is all the way through that and she was she loves Lord of the Rings, so I was just constantly taking pictures of her in front of the posters. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's so interesting you say you love old scores because you know, whilst I was watching it, I make the most random notes about little bits of score and just kind of my kind of reaction to them. Yeah. And I, I've got written down, there's very beautiful old style score as she gets on the bus. And it's it's kind of like a 50s movie almost because stylistically she's kind of almost in a different era really to everybody else anyway. Yeah, yeah. we Yeah, so we, and I get with the costume and the design of that, we did want it to, it, 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 we wanted to, it to feel like time had frozen a little bit, I suppose, mm. in the fact that it hadn't really, it, her, her state of mind was still with um, her past self, I suppose, the younger version of herself. Yeah. So that definitely felt right. There's also, I was also trying to sneak in as many Christmas jingles as I could because <laughs> yeah. I love Christmas jingles, but I don't know how, I don't know how many actually made it in. There's a couple. I've got Christmas written down quite a few on. <laughs> and then when she sings, I wish you Merry, wish you Merry Christmas in the car. It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, that's kind of, yeah, that's definitely um, real in a way, um, or at least has happened many, every Christmas really. And the Christmas present giving scene. Uh, <laughs> that's so good <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah there's something about Christmas music that I just I just absolutely love and I feel like a kid again 
like I think it's the the um the movies that I you know maybe the the Santa Claus movies and stuff. Home Alone. Yeah, I miss the innocence of those movies. Um, so I definitely try to get that in. And then we've also got like um we've got a few tracks, um, which I didn't think there would be as many tracks in the movie. Yeah, there actually are. Um, the Beth Orton track that's stunning. Oh, I love Beth Orton. I hadn't heard that in so long, and it like I literally just not let me burst out crying when it's like because it's just her, her voice is so unique. I think it's kind of and it, it what I felt was lovely was that it felt like her voice because she's got that really sort of delicate sort of fried fragility to her voice that made me feel like it was almost a replica of Jane in a way. Yeah, I, so I hadn't heard that song before that before we actually were in the edit and the editor, Stephen Harron, he'd have like a playlist of music um, with a lot of rap and rap wasn't going to make its way into this, sadly. But, um, very we, different film. <laughs> very different film. Um, but I know how much you love Eminem. Yeah, I do love him. I mean, I do love Eminem. I don't think I'll ever be able to get an Eminem song in a movie just because it's, I mean, he's not really somebody that needs to be talked about anymore um, in terms of his lyrical content, but yeah. also like, his songs are so hard to put to anything, but I've certainly tried and I'm making another movie in a couple of weeks. And I think the closest I can get to Eminem is to put a Labby Sifri song in, okay. <laughs> uh, which he sampled for My Name Is. So yeah. That- there we go. There's your, your nod to the old Eminem that used to be all right. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I didn't... I, so you played the Beth Orton track, and it was just that we played so many tracks over that, and more songs more, I suppose, all, all the songs, definitely we tried... Um, what did we try all together? You know, like Ricky Nelson songs and yeah. Dean Martin songs and more crooners. But then you just played Beth Orton accidentally, and um, I was like, bloody hell, that's so good. I just felt so sad. I was like... Mm. This is exactly what we need. So yeah, that that went in, and then blue, uh, blue skies, the Nelson track. I love that song so much. I'm so so happy we got that song. That's great. I mean, yeah. Blue skies smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies. Do I see bluebirds singing a song? Nothing but blue skies from now on. I never saw the sun shining so bright. Never saw things going so light. Noticing the days hurrying by. 
When you're in love, my, how they fly by blue day. All of them gone. Nothing but blue skies from now on. And David's band, this, when he performs, talk about how that's what's written down and then what you, you know, working with David on that in terms of, yeah, how he's going to do it. David used to be in a band. Did he? Called Door 44, I think it's called. And goes on to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's actually out there, but it was before he became an actor. And I'm, I think he fell into the acting side of it. But, um, you know, when we did the short film that he wrote, he, he told me about this and he just stayed in my head. I was like, oh, amazing. So if I, if I ever write anything about, you know, somebody in a band, then yeah. it has to be him. So immediately that's what I wanted. And I, I wrote lyrics down that, you know, what I, you know, wrote the lyrics down what I thought. Actually, do you know what? Nirvana was actually one of the tracks that he actually sang at one point. We had him singing, I can't remember what Nirvana track it was, but the character was very obsessed with like conspiracy theories in the beginning and very obsessed with like the idea that somebody killed Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, um, the, you know, the world is somebody, you know, the industry took him down or what have you. And that's why his band can't get a break, even though they're like terrible. But Nirvana's impossible to clear. It's so hard <laughs> to get. I think Grohl and, and, and Courtney Love both have like 50-50 in terms of the rights to that music. So You need both them. You need both them to agree. Um, so we couldn't get that song. Um, and then we started you know, exploring the lyrics. So I wrote lyrics and then I, I just sent it to David and then he started writing loads of lyrics about the queen being a shapeshifter and stuff. And I was just like, this is absolutely right. <laughs> um, and I think that was his favorite day going into the, the studio and recording the pre-tracks. Like that was, um, that was so much fun. Um, and he actually wrote a few other tracks that um, we talked about releasing like a Truth Detectives EP after the fact. And maybe that'll happen. I also would love to do the like the a, a second version of that movie or a sequel of sorts where like they're both actually on the road in the band. Because I think that would be fantastic. Is she dressed up as, as Calamity Jane at the fancy dress party? Yeah. Yes. I was really chuffed at myself for going, oh my God, I think it's Calamity Jane. <laughs> I watched that film so much when I was like a teenager. I was obsessed with it. Yeah, so was the real Calamity Jane, and the um, the, that's the why it's in there really. Aww. Um, and at the end of the movie, the movie says for the real Calamity Jane, and that's for the real person. But now it just looks like I've made a tribute to Doris Day. <laughs> it's no bad thing. Come on, no bad thing at all. No, not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. She's fantastic. But yeah, uh, that's <laughs> definitely that. Yeah, it's definitely Calamity Jane, one hundred percent. That's a proper Saturday afternoon film you know in terms of when they used to put films on like two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon it's always played at Christmas I might have to go and watch that today the GFT plays it all the time do they at Christmas yeah yeah they play it all the time at Christmas um that and a wonderful life oh definitely my kids are gonna hate me probably but they're gonna watch Calamity Jane this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> we actually we also looked into like clearing some of those songs from that film for the film as well and again just too expensive is it still stuff like that that really surprises me because you'd think that they would want to introduce this to a to a new generation in a way it's kind of it's interesting isn't it that whole yeah but people want to get paid and um you got to go to their state and it's quite a lot to go through go through yeah not on this budget sadly i've got written down the music for the kiss and the tear oh my god yeah that was good timing <laughs> I mean, just give her all the awards now, please, for this role, because, I mean, you know, we, we all know that Sally Hawkins is phenomenal, you know, and she can do the kind of dark and gritty, but she can also do Paddington and just 
nail it, you know, in terms of she's just pitch perfect. And in this as well, there's so many beautiful, tiny little nuances and facial expressions or even where she has her hand and it's so intricate but delicate and perfect but that tear <gasps> and then I, it's, I will follow you isn't it yes oh yeah well, yeah I forgot we had that so yeah the Ricky Mountain yeah yeah we actually a lot of a lot of tracks more than I really I will follow you follow you wherever you follow you ever since you touch my hand I know that near you I always must be and nothing can keep you from me you are my destiny <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of music. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I totally like. I think she, she's the real shapeshifter. Sally's incredible, and no disrespect to any other actress out there, but nobody could have done this apart from her. I just think that she was just absolutely right for the the, the film, and I agree. Throw everything at her because she's just she's just remarkable, and it's so brave to actually take on the role as well. Yeah, it's not easy. It's a real balancing act to to be funny with it and also break your heart. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, I, like I, I, I want to work with Sally on everything. She played your mum in. Did she play your mum in Submarine? Yeah, she played my mum in Jane Eyre as well. I, yeah, I, uh, for, <laughs> yeah, for like a, I was in that for like a scene, um, and she played my mum in that. And so yeah, uh, I, uh, I definitely like I, any film I do from now on, I want Sally in it because she's just the best. She's absolutely the best. Did you have music around you when you were writing the script? You create playlists or anything like that? I've actually got my Spotify right in front of me, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna quickly just go into the eternal beauty playlist that i i used um it was a lot of chicago okay so yeah the chicago hamilton quintet was the uh we, we used a lot of that so freedom traveler song and gone lover uh what else did i play a lot of uh some frankie valley some sam cook and the three degrees sugar on sunday i like there's a there's a lot of tracks that i, I would play um and also on set we, we would play some uh, music as well because it helps um, just for the tone. I got to the Chicago Hamilton uh, group because that's actually the music that influenced PTA and John Bryan on Punch Drunk Love.
Is PTA as I like how you refer to him? Is that a, is that a close personal way to refer to Paul Thomas? Anderson? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely wish. Uh, no, no, uh, no, no. Um, but it, yeah, it, he because um, because I'm so obsessed with um, his, that movie, all of his movies. To be fair, I think he's the best. I, I got so obsessed with Punch Drunk Love that I got worried about it. So I was like, okay, I need to actually find out what influenced this movie rather than what this movie is. Yeah. Um, so I started like you know going before that, and, and that's when I found Chicago. I, I think I found a piece about uh, with John Bryan talking about it so that was that that's where that came from good old PTA he's he's really interesting though isn't he that how he with every film the music almost has a different role like Magnolia with that Amy Mann I mean that, that's that, the best for oh, me honestly that's that's one is the lone, oh my god yeah, it's just yeah. one of my favorite I think top five films of all time for sure one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do two can be as bad as one it's the loneliest number since the number one experience you'll ever know yes it's the saddest experience you'll ever know because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do one is the loneliest number that you'll It's amazing. It's three hours, 45 minutes long. And is it? It's, it's pretty long. I think it's, oh my yeah, God. it's pretty long. And it, it's, 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 it's its own thing so much that you just can't disagree that it's a good film. Like, even if it's <laughs> long and the camera's moving 100 miles an hour, like, it's just, it's amazing. And the, the fact that he took those Amy Mann tracks and, 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 they, and they work so well on it and it sets a tone beautifully having one voice. That's what I love so much about what Richard Awadi did with Submarine is that with Alex Turner doing the soundtrack and, yeah. you know, also, you know, the, 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 the graduate soundtrack as well. Like having it through voice is like really, really wonderful. Did Richard play music on set whilst you were doing that? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember him playing music. I can't remember at what point Alex Turner came on board to do it. I think it was like maybe halfway through the shoot. Obviously they, they knew each other and maybe that was before that, but it was announced like I think halfway through shooting. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure if that was always the case, but um, no, I don't think there was music played. He played, look, he had a lot of references to, like, he had a lot of movies that I, I watched, but in terms of music, no, I didn't. I don't think I remember hearing anything, but that was 10 years ago now, so I, I, God knows. Uh, in my head, the most, like, um, uh, Paddy's character, Graham, is like, when it comes to music, it's like, oh, I just want to know what his kind of, like, <laughs> collection is. <laughs> That character, yeah, I remember um, uh, that was my first job film, really. And I remember um, I wasn't in on that day that he was playing Graham and uh, doing the the seminar because that's obviously got that's got like Magnolia vibes to it, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I must obey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I remember um, Richard just saying you should come in on this day and just watch Paddy because Paddy was going to uh, he basically improvised a hell of a lot, Paddy. 
um, and he said to come in, I was just blow, absolutely blown away by how good Mr. Considine is. He's another one who loves his music as well. Yeah, he's got a great band. I've I've seen I've seen his band. I saw his band. I saw his band at I think Festival Number Six. I um when did I speak to him last? It was when I was doing a, a radio like a regular radio show, and he came in, and we played his we played their new single on the radio. He was like, "Oh, we're better. We're good now." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, yeah." It was an interesting experience coming to see you live way back. That was like, "Oh wow, okay." Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's so. I mean, he's you know he's so talented. He can do all these things, and and then also direct. And I, lo- I love his directing as well. And well, he's yeah. another one like you in terms of you know this being a real kind of personal story to tell for you in terms of you know it being based on on someone that you know that for with Johnny Mom with him it was very personal as well. And but you feel that you feel the kind of the loyalty, I guess, that you have to getting it right in in the way that you've made it. Yeah, yeah. He loves his boxing very much mm-hmm. so as well. Yeah, I'd love to work with him again. I think he's so, he's so, um, and I, I think he needs to make another movie. Richard needs to make another movie. Yeah, totally. It's like, come on, mate. Like, what are you doing? Stop voiceover in Apples and Onions and get making a film. It's like... <laughs> 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 yeah, I just know he's he's cooking up something though. It's going to be yeah. it'll be extraordinary. How does it work with you, Craig? With like when you you know because I imagine that you've got these two worlds kind of going now. You're you know being a filmmaker, but then but then also you know still acting. Is it hard to juggle the two, just in terms of the time frame and how um, how that works? Or not? Uh, to be honest, uh, yeah. Well, yes, it does. It does. I'm trying to you know because my. Um, my time these days is just consumed by writing and directing more so and you know not not so much acting so it's trying to find the time to be able to do that um because i do love doing it and um and just the right thing to do really but when you make you know making a film is just you, you get consumed so much that it's hard to focus on absolutely anything else so yeah i don't i don't know it's it's it is a little bit tricky but i get to explore more with my writing and directing I kind of play the same roles acting and that, that's probably my fault just as much as anybody else's because I, I also get to, you know, I'm choosing to do them at the same time. So I think I need more life experience to do more roles as an actor. Well, and it's interesting to kind of not, not being in Eternal Beauty. You know, you, you, you were in Just Jim, but decided not to be in Eternal Beauty. Yeah, well, nobody, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, I suppose I didn't want to be in it um, because... With some of the reviews on the first one, they they definitely pointed towards the fact that I was in it, um, which is you know which is is strange and almost maybe make you know like um, like I was an egomaniac of sorts. Hey, Ben Affleck does it. Come on. I know, good old Ben. Uh, but I, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was just something that I was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be in it as much. Not to say that those people are right, but at the, at the same time, I wanted to focus on just the writing and directing, but it, it did feel like in the first one with me being in it, and I, I didn't definitely want to be in the first one. I just, it was cheaper, really, <laughs> to, to, to put me in it. Um, and I just wanted to get experience and make, and make something, or at least make something I was passionate about. So yeah, no more no more acting in the things I do. And with the next film, you've not written it, which is the first for but you. I put myself in it. Yeah, I can put myself yeah. in it. So it's not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. What can you tell us about? Was it the Fantastic Flick Cliffs? The Fantastic Flick Crofts. It's really hard to say. It, it is hard to say. It's a working title. It is about, so it's written by Simon Farnbury and he, he's, it's just in this amazing script. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. Um, and I was a massive fan of this before I got to meet him and actually work, you know, work with him. So I, I feel very grateful to, to get this, this opportunity. And it's produced uh, by Baby Cower and Ward from Power. Um, and they're doing a great job. 
um, and it's about um, it's based on the true story of Morris Flickcroft, who was a uh, crane operator in Barrow um, in the 70s and decided to become a golfer and uh, apply for the British Open and, you know, and actually got in. Wow. Even though he had no experience at all, he took, yeah, took professional and got in and then recorded the worst ever record to this date. <laughs> um, and so he's played by uh, Mark Rylance. So, um, oh my God. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's uh, we're, pre- we're prepping right now. We're three weeks out. We start shooting in three weeks. Oh, Craig, that's so exciting. I'm so excited to watch you direct Mark Rylance. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, and it's certainly, it's very comedic. It's a, it's a drama with a hell of a lot of comedy in it. And uh, I, I, like, like, I think he's going to be absolutely incredible. We're very lucky to have him. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, the, the marriage of, of Simon's beautiful script and obviously the skill that Mark has. I've got to make sure I don't screw it up. Oh, it'll be great. <laughs> oh, man, it'll be so good. I'm so excited about that. Good luck with the start of filming. That's brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. And I know how, I know how manic it is, you know, for, for you right now with that kind of lead up to that as well. It's kind of, it's a busy time. So I really appreciate you sparing us the time to have a chat today. For No, thank you for taking the time to chat and watching it and saying lovely things and stuff. And oh. thank, thank you, Edith. I really appreciate it. And I love your show. So thank you for having me on. Oh, it's lovely to see you. And good luck with the film. And I wish you all the best for the new one. And hopefully we can get to talk about that as well when it comes out. 100%. And I hope that, you know, if we go back into lockdown and stuff like that, I hope your lockdown's good and the rest of the year is is, is good for you. You too, mate. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks, Edith. Craig. Bye. Score to Eternal Beauty, that's More Friends Than You, by Michael Price, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Craig Roberts. My huge thanks to Craig for taking the time to talk to us. Eternal Beauty is on general release now and is a really gorgeous piece of cinema. I absolutely adore it. It is one of my films of the year and I please, if I can, encourage you to get along to the cinema to watch this if you possibly can and of course feel comfortable doing so. Head to edithbowman.com or your preferred platform to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chat with the aforementioned Paddy Considine. And please do subscribe whilst you're there. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and we also have a little YouTube channel where I put together a companion piece to this podcast with a whole host of guests from the world of film and music. In fact, if you check out this week's two episodes, I have a special episode with director Ron Howard and a lady called Michelle John talking about the documentary Rebuilding Paradise. I also have another little episode with Craig Roberts, Ewan McGregor and Kat Dealey and you can watch and see them in their splendour. Next up, I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast Ian Bonnot and Peter Ettige who are fantastic documentary filmmakers and their latest film Rising Phoenix is a powerful and emotional journey into the lives of nine Paralympic athletes. It is a powerful and brilliant film scored I should add but none other than friend of the podcast Mr Daniel Pemberton. Ian and Peter next week's guests on the podcast I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then in the meantime stay safe.